This is Rob Tubbett for Boxing Social in association with Betfred. Delighted, as always, to be joined by a, a better-looking Eddie Hearn. You look like you're recovering, Ed. How are you? Do you know what? I'm a bit worried, Rob, because when we came on the Zoom, you went, oh, you look much better. I was like, what, did I look bad? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Obviously, did I look rough, yeah? You looked a little bit ill, yeah. I think I, I, saw, I watched the interviews that you did with Coogan, and, uh, yeah, you didn't look at your usual sparkly-eyed best, Eddie. No, no. I'm still, yeah, I've, I never really... I guess when you look back, because I had no symptoms, but I didn't feel great around when I was being tested. It's only really when you look back and you go, yeah, actually, I didn't, didn't really feel, you know, my best. And, uh, you know, I think it's just being locked in a room, knowing that you have COVID. Like, mentally, it's not the best. Do you know what I mean? So, just good to be out, good to be up and running. Um, we're still, you know, we've got issues. We're, we're talking stuff through with the board because... Although under government guidelines, after 10 days, I can return to work, under board guidelines, uh, I have to get, you know, I have to test negative and that probably won't happen for another three or four weeks. So um, the Premier League guidelines, I've just, just actually spoken to the consultant virologist for the Premier League, who they don't retest for 90 days because there's no point. You know, as long as you follow the guidelines, you had no symptoms. You're, you're, and you know, the other day I had a test and my CT level was over 35, which means I'm non-infectious and I'm not, you know, a threat to anyone, but it would still show positive because you might have dead cells. So I'm more concerned for fighters who might have tested positive a month ago. And then, you know, and the same applies to Peter Fury. Obviously it was a gutter. He tested positive yesterday, but it's very likely that after his 10 day government isolation, when he's allowed to go back to work and he's non-infectious, he might not be able to work for three months if, if those tests kept coming back positive. So to be honest with you, mate, the whole thing's a complete disaster and we're just learning as we go. And it's just um, more challenges. You know, I always talk about the ups and downs of boxing. Well, this is just on another level. Now it's like, you know, I think, when you go into an event on fight week, once you get to fight week, it's like there's a 5% chance or less, one or 2% chance that a fight might fall out. Now we're almost getting to like 30, 40% chance that a fight might fall out. And it is what it is, but it's just, if we want to keep going, if we want to keep trying to maintain the momentum of the sport and keep trying to deliver for our fighters, we just have to accept we're going to get kicked in the bollocks on a regular basis. So, you know, it is what it is. Take it on the chin and just keep on pushing, keep on trying. It's really difficult at the moment, really difficult. And it does get you, you know, it does get you down. You sort of start thinking, fuck, it's just like, you know, you announce a fight, someone's out, someone says positive. I mean, their martial ranking was a fight I was really looking forward to. You know, and okay, all right, reschedule. Come on, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, and, and it's all you can do. Absolute worst can I, worst case scenario for you. What are we looking at potentially? For uh, with regards to quarantining and if the board quarantine is done, you know, the, the government guidelines are quite simple. I've tested positive. I've done my ten days. I have no symptoms. I go back to work, but it's unlikely that I would produce an, a negative test. For a few weeks even though you know i can 
from the, 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 the CT level, the virologist, you know, the consultant virologist will tell the British Boxing Border Control, I am not infectious, right? I'm not a threat. I can go back to work. But unfortunately, if you need, you know, if I wanted to travel somewhere and had to produce a, a negative test, I probably couldn't do it at the moment. Might be. I mean, any day it could, it could happen. But, you know, at the moment, we just learned. I'm more concerned. Look, you know, I'd love to be at the shows and this is probably the last one that I'll probably won't, won't be at. But it's more for the, I'm more worried about the bigger fights on the card. You know, you could have AJ. He's never tested positive for COVID, but say he was asymptomatic, I don't know, two months ago, and then tests on fight week and tests positive. You know what I mean? Even though he's no longer infectious. So it's very difficult, very difficult. And my worry is, you know, we've now lost, that's the first fight, actually, Marshall ranking that we've lost to COVID. But it's going to become more and more common. And sooner or later, we or someone is going to lose a main event on fight week. You know, so we just got to be ready. We've got to take every precaution we can. And, you know, keep just keep updating ourselves and making sure. You know, so I said to British Boxing Board of Control, look, here's the guy from the Premier League, right? He consults with them. Talk to him. Understand our testing process because we can't take opportunities away from people if they're, you know, non-infectious. And, you know, as the guy says, if I was a heart surgeon, I'd be in the theatre today performing life-saving operations on, on patients. Yeah, can't go to a show, even though I'm not a threat to anyone. So, again, you know, we shall see. Might have to be the old sofa again for me on Saturday, but we will see. It's all right, Eddie. I've got quite used to the sofa. Sorry? I've got quite I used know, to it. Yeah, I know. Well, you've been, you know, Boxing Social, you've made an appearance, haven't you? A couple. You didn't go, but Andy, we've had Andy down. And I think as we move forward to the likes of... Um, uh, the likes of Usyk Chisora, etc. I mean, Usyk just messaged me now saying, do we have crowds? I'm like, we're trying, we're trying. But it's absolutely ridiculous that you can have a thousand in the Palladium, you know, uh, which probably only holds 1,200 for an Arsene Wenger night, but you can't have 800 in Wembley Arena, you know, socially distanced. I mean, the, the, there's so much inconsistency with the rules, but the only defence is everyone's learning. You know, it's going back to um, the Premier League and the British Boxing Board of Control. We, we just have to make sure that we continue to learn and evolve through the process. And it's not easy. You can't blame it. You know, I don't, I don't, so I don't blame the government for allowing the Palladium and other stuff, but there's just, it's, there's got to be consistency. How can you not allow football crowds to return outdoors, socially distanced, but you can allow all those people in a theatre. It's just ridiculous. So it is what it is. Um, I never thought at the start of the year we'd be sitting here talking about this, you know, me sitting at my desk talking about, oh, I can't get into the bloody show on Saturday. So who knows? Who knows? But as long as we're, um, you know, I've had it now. My old man's got it. He was worse than me, but he's all right now. And, and you know, you, you can't, I guess you can't just, Having had it and having seen my old man have it, and you just can't say, oh, it's just a cult. Because it's not. If you're vulnerable and you're not strong, this is a, this is a very, very dangerous disease. That's the reality of it. But if you're healthy and you're fit and you're young, you should be allowed to get on with your life. 
because you know I'm, I'm an average guy, right? No, actually, don't be silly. I'm hardly average, am I? No, but on a serious note, I'm an average guy, right? I'm a 40-year-old, 41-year-old guy, a little bit on the overweight side, does a little bit of exercise, tries to eat healthy, but sometimes not, likes a beer, nothing major. I'm an average guy, right? It felt to me, I was like, ah, oh, you say it's not a bad, it felt like a bad cold. Like, it felt like man flu, right? But that's it. How can you stop your life? How can you stop the economy for, for that? For the, for the people that it doesn't affect. Do you know what I'm saying? And I, I agree with shielding the vulnerable. I know we've got to be careful. We can't just take it for granted. But you have to let the world carry on. Do you know what I mean? So, anyway, let's talk some fucking boxing, shall we? Let's. Now, I haven't spoke to you since, um, well, for a while, but since Joshua Boazzi headlined mm. the card a couple of weeks ago. Just your thoughts on Joshua Boazzi's performance. Bit of a mixed bag, I think. Yeah, I mean, I was, again, I was, I was in bed at the time and I was watching. I was thinking, oh, blimey. You know, I mean, I, it's hard because sometimes you choose an opponent and... and when I'm, when I'm paying for a fight, right, there's a couple of things that I want. Number one is I want to make sure that Joshua Boatze gets something out of the fight. I, I want to make sure that he can develop as a fighter and his career can develop. Number two, I want to make sure that I don't get moaned at and you guys at home enjoy the fight. So we found this guy who I knew could fight. You know, I spoke to Babich about him. I looked at his WSB. I knew he was a big, big 175-pounder. And I knew that this would be a solid fight. I didn't expect him, you know, after four rounds to be sitting there going, bloody hell, this, is, this could go either way. Um, but for Boazzi, it really was the perfect fight. You know, it was a fight where he had to come back from a little bit of adversity. It's a fight where he was under pressure. So he got hurt, but, you know... He, his eye was all over the shop. He had to adjust and he couldn't, you know, he couldn't, they, Kalich couldn't miss him with a right hand. You know, he couldn't see out of it. So I really feel that when he looks back, probably didn't think it in the changing room after, but when he looks back, he goes, they're the kind of fights that I need because you can't just breeze through as a prospect and then go and fight Arta Baturbia or Biva, you know, and then all of a sudden after four rounds think, Jesus Christ, I've not, I've not experienced this before. I've not been there before. So I thought it was a perfect fight for him. And I thought it was a good performance. I thought you know, there was a stage in the fight where it goes one of two ways. You haven't been in these deep waters before and you sink or you bite down on the gum shield and you swim. And that's what he done. You know, he busted up Kalich. I think he broke his cheekbone. I think he might have even broke his jaw as well. And, you know, it was, it was a good performance. Great finisher, Boatsy, but still showed still stuff to learn you know and it's you you always get oh moving forward he should be fight but we we know what we're doing we can't just listen to people who just want to sling him in i believe that joshua boatsy is a very special fighter if we bring him through in the right way and we're nearly there we're nearly there so you know, for everybody that wants to see him in deep you know we're, we're on the verge and that was a really important test to pass where next for him? Obviously, the Callum Johnson fight's been talked about a lot. I know that there was talk of Joshua Boatsy coming back on the AJ undercard in December. Also, some talk now of him potentially coming back next year. Where do we stand with Joshua Boatsy? Well, I think it's unlikely that you see Boatsy fight this year. Um, we'll talk to Freddie and AJ and 258 and, and Josh. 
but you know he would have to although he's training now like you have to go back to camp and sparring and and for me i think he's better off waiting until january or february probably but there's a few options number one the original path was to reschedule the wba eliminator which would probably actually be a final eliminator now with blake caparello from australia that was who he was supposed to fight before it's a good solid fight i think caparello's top 10 with every governing body and then the other fight that's obviously emerging and getting a lot of traction is callum johnson you know that's a fight that i think should be made now whether that's next callum johnson wants the fight in november and um, we'll be looking to get him out or whether um you know, we can make that go straight into that fight in February or March, January, whatever. I think that's a fight that we have to see. Callum's supposed to be fighting for the European title, but it's difficult at the moment. I'd still like him to win that and then fight Boatsy. But you're almost getting like, once we get Callum back in the ring, you're talking about a potential final eliminator between those two as well. I just think, Rob, that you know what? It's a, it's a horrible division, isn't it? Because you look at it and you go, right, who am I going to go after? Bivol or Betabiev? I mean, fucking hell. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, I, I would love to see Boatsy against Callum Johnson. Is that realistic? I mean, you're talking about the Blake Caparello. I, I think, I mean, Joe, look, Joe, Joe Gallagher is Joe Gallagher. You know, I love him to bits. But, you know, you make him an offer to fight and then you don't hear anything. And then, you know, it's like, I'm, we're ready to move forward with a plan for Callum Johnson that involves Boatsy, that doesn't involve Boatsy. Callum Johnson is a top fighter. You know, I, I look at Callum Johnson, I think, you, you're, a, you're a player, right? And he's very exciting to watch. Listen, he could be Joshua Boatsy. You know, I know there's the feeling that, oh, Boatsy's a golden boy, and, you know, and maybe I'm like, you know, the outs. But the ultimately, we want to give people the opportunity, and, and that's a 50-50 fight on the back of, Joshua Watts, his last performance. So, While we're hovering uh, around, go on, go on. Ed. No, I just think it's a fight we should definitely look at and, and make for 2021 and early on. While we're hovering around Joe Gallagher, what's the latest with Callum Smith? Last time I spoke to you, I, I mentioned the fact that Liam Smith had talked about the potential for him retiring. Yeah. yeah. Where, where are we with I Callum? I mean, I spoke to Callum uh, last night with his lawyer and there's a few things going on. Number one is... We wait on the Canelo Alvarez situation, which, you know, if it's going to be resolved, could be resolved soon. And he's, I know that him and Golden Boy are holding a date late December for him to go, if that's cleared up. Callum is, you know, arguably the front runner in that situation. The Yildrim situation, you know, in my opinion, Canelo won't be fighting Yildrim. And therefore, the WBC should be ordering Yildrim against Callum Smith. Um, and then failing that, there's Callum Smith needs to fight. And then, you know, if it's not a big fight in December, it's a fight and then jump into, um, you know, Billy Joe Saunders or whoever it's going to be in the spring. Callum, I think Callum is at the stage where he's not one of those guys that, you know, I, I just need to fight. You know, I need to, he wants, if, if he has to wait till January or February for the right fight, he will do it. But in an ideal world, he gets Canelo Alvarez in December, you know, and if he doesn't, he gets Yildrim. And if he doesn't, plan C is to fight, you know, and, and to get out and have a defence. And um, I think you've got a lot of people right now who, you know, as we move, we're not far away from November, right? So January and February starts actually being 
not that far away, you know? So I think right now it's just, you know, balancing the situation and finding the right route for the last few fighters that need to get out or need to have a plan. I think as long as you've got a plan, you're all right. The worst thing to have is not a plan. Um, and there are many fighters out there that don't have a plan. But that's you know, something we've got to try and avoid. Callum Smith and Billy Joe Saunders, when you signed Billy Joe, it was, there was, well, you said in interviews that that fight was done. It was contracted so that fight could be kind of essentially activated whenever. That's still the case? Not without a crowd, no. I mean, not unless I want to lose a couple of million quid, which isn't really the name of the game, to be honest. Um, but the fight, I, I actually, I didn't say that fight is contracted. It's contracted for Billy Joe Saunders. So in Billy Joe Saunders' contract, you know, effectively... We know the number, we know the deal. As long as Callum Smith agrees to fight him, that fight's on. Um, but without the gate revenue, for the numbers that both those, that Billy's contracted to, and the number that Callum would want, impossible at the moment. If they took less money and we had a pay-per-view slot, doable. Do we have a pay-per-view slot for the rest of the year? Absolutely not. You know, so any new pay-per-view slot starts from January or February. And that's one that, that could fit in there. But again, it's very difficult, you know, to to make these fights. And you're seeing a lot of these big fights are, are, are only happening because, you know, the promoter is willing to stick in a few quid and the fighters are willing to take less money in this current environment. That's basically how you're getting the big fights at the moment. And, and a broadcaster might be stepping up, you know, to help as well. You mentioned kind of January. I mean, January is conventionally a very quiet month in the boxing calendar. Don't don't customarily see a lot of pay-per-view events with kind of the way the world's kind of been on its ass and the sports kind of had to adjust to that. Could we potentially see bigger shows or, or bigger shows than we're custom, uh, accustomed to seeing in January? Yeah, I think because of the amount of shows we do now, I think January's just become, I always like to avoid January, mm. selfishly, because I like to go away and have a bit of a rest over Christmas and January, but also because there's not a lot happening. But I think we have a big opportunity here with live sports content. You know, that includes boxing as well, but there's more people at home. There's more people that want to watch live sport. Okay, you can't go out, you know, we have a captive audience sitting on their couch. So I think we're in a great position and we have to keep that, that going. It's just the longevity of the sport is dependent on live gates. You know, I mean, listen, we can keep going for years if we have to with no gates, but not many others can. And, you know, you look at like the small hall scene, you know, that's the beating heart of boxing. You know what I mean? That, that's as important as the big shows. And it's crippled. You know, we haven't seen a non-TV non show, but we haven't seen a small hall show since February. Right? And we're not going to see one this year, or very unlikely. So... You know, I just, I just feel that we've got, we've got to make our move. But I do feel like we've got an opportunity to continue to create live sports content because it's in demand. You know, broadcasters want it, and that's good news for boxing. In terms of January, our first event looks like January the 23rd or January the 30th, which is Josh Kelly against David Avenison. But now we're starting to plan February to be honest with you. And, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting because my main aim was just get through this year. But it actually looks like now we're going to be in a situation where we might have to get through spring. 
as well. But day by day, problem by problem. Before we move on, Ed, um, obviously we spoke last time about Sunday boxing and, you know, something that you wanted to do for a while. How did that go? What what was the kind of the, the feedback from that? How were the numbers on the Sunday show? It was good. It was good. Some, the numbers were good. I think not, not dissimilar to a Saturday, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, Boatsy rated well, but he should rate well because he came off the back of a Premier League game. And that was the whole idea. When we originally announced the Sunday uh, game, a fight, there was no evening game. So our plan was that it finishes just before, you know, they come off air at seven and then you go straight in. This time, they came off air at, I think, 8.45, no, sorry, 9.30. So they came on to Chantel Cameron and then Boatsy. I feel like one of the mistakes we made was we were a bit late. We, we overrun a little bit. I think really on Sunday, we need to make sure that that, that main event audience off the back of the Liverpool game goes straight into the main event of, of the fight. Do you know what I mean? So, but it's important when you're building a fighter like Boatsy to give him every opportunity to, you know, have as many eyeballs as possible. And it definitely did that because more people watched that fight than they would have if it was not off the back of a football game. You know, you've seen, when you look at all the audiences, you know, you see that the audiences are much bigger coming off the back of, of live football. It's not rocket science. Um, I don't think Sunday boxing is something that is going to, you know, be part of the, the schedule consistency. But I just like it. And I like to try new things at the moment because we're learning all the time about this new world that we live in. And I think, you know, when we talk about pay-per-view, it's a massive opportunity for pay-per-view fights. You know, we saw it with White Povetkin with the numbers. But again, coming up to Usyk Chisora on October 31st, we're probably going to be in lockdown, right? So you have this captive audience that aren't in a pub, aren't in a nightclub, aren't in a restaurant, and they're at home and they want entertainment. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's a good spot for live content. Where are we with AJ, Eddie? You sat there with your AJ boxing attire. I've been waiting for an announcement for the last couple of days about his fight with uh, Kubrat Pulev. Where are we? What's the latest? Um, we're pretty much there, really. We're um, we're finalising the contracts, um, you know. And I saw Kubrat Pulev say, you know, I've signed. He has signed, and uh, we're just finalising everything from our end. Um, and yeah, I think you'll get an announcement maybe in the next few days. Um, but yeah, all all looking good for that fight. Um, and, and now the challenge is to make sure we get people in the venue. You know, there's there's a music event approved at the O2 the week before for 4,000 people. So, you know, we know that can change if things get better or worse. But, you know, we, we need to start trying to push the boundaries. And and probably that starts with Usyk Chisora, to be honest with you. I'll, I'll, you know, we're applying to get a small crowd in there. Just want to draw your attention to some comments made today by Kubrat Pulev's popped up on Sky Sports where he made some reference to Anthony Joshua's skin colour. I don't know if you've seen those comments. Saying that he's got a better tan than him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I sent, I actually sent that to AJ as well, you know, just to sort of get his opinion on it. I, I, don't, I don't think that Kubrat Pulev, you know, I mean, I don't think, it's not exactly the greatest thing in the world to say. But, you know, I don't think that it was racially motivated, to be honest. In the current climate, probably regretful. Yeah, 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 probably. But that's up to him, isn't it? I mean, you know, I can't, I'm not looking to justify things that Kubrat Pulev say. 
says. Um, but you know they've got they've got quite a vocal like Pudev's quite vocal to be honest with you, and they've got quite a vocal team. I mean, you have got Bob Arum who is telling the world that Kubrat Pudev's going to knock Anthony Joshua out, and you've got Ivalo Gotsev, who's you know great character. Uh, you know he's Pudev's right hand man. He's like you know, when you fall in love with a fighter. I've done it before. You don't see the reality of the situation, right? So Ivalo. There's no debate. Pulev wins. Do you know what I mean? He's like, you know, and, and we'll see. It's a tough fight. Listen, it's, you know, as, you know, with the wilder stuff falling out of bed, and we know that that fight, AJ Fury, is there. It's, you know, we know that the current environment is not the best for that fight now, but we've got our mandatory. He wants to have a fight. So it's there. You know, and we've been here before, Rob, with Ruiz, you know. Oh, just get through this one, then we'll get wilder or you know, and it, now it's like, but but that was dealing with people as we've seen over the last couple of weeks that quite frankly don't know their arse from their elbow, right? Now we're dealing with different people around Fury, you know, whether that's Aaron, whether that's MTK. You know, I spoke to Frank, but I'm sure we will as well. And 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 I trust they want to do it, and I trust that Fury wants to do it. And I never trusted that Wilder or Shelley Finkel or those guys wanted to do the AJ fight. I just did not believe them. And we got a lot of stick because they, they, you know, he played a great game. But where is he now? Where's the voice now? You know, and I think the reality is shining through of, of you know, I don't believe they ever wanted the Anthony Joshua fight. And I don't believe they want the Tyson Fury fight. Now, how, how can they? You know? So I believe that we have team there who want to fight Anthony Joshua they believe they will be Anthony Joshua and we feel exactly the same from our side that we beat Tyson Fury and we want that fight more than anything but right now the focus has to be on a dangerous fight you know I don't expect Fury to have a dangerous fight in December and you know don't blame him you know if you really want to fight he'll go and have an easy little fight and he's just beat Wilder let him have one but at, we've got a real fight and we can't afford to sit there and say, yeah, Fury, let's do this. Yeah, I can work behind the scenes on that, but we've got to be a million percent focused on Pudev because he's a world-class fighter and that whole team really believe they're going to win this fight. You mentioned, obviously, Deontay Wilder. We're still yet to really hear anything official or on the mm. record from him. What do you make of, of well, the, the seemingly the situation that we're in and the reports coming out about that third fight? No, no, I don't know what's going on. You know, I mean, I've said, I can't remember the amount of interviews I've said, where is, like, you'd think you'd just put a post out, wouldn't you, going, guys, I've been laying low, I'm focused, I want my belts back. I don't know. But it's so weird. And contractually, what sort of job have these people done for Deontay Wilder? What? It's just evaporated. The rematch clause. You've just come off a global pandemic, right? It's then called a force majeure. So... You're basically being told that by CLA, you know, where are these people coming out and enforcing their rights? They obviously don't have no rights. So it's, it's a disaster all around. And now Deontay Wilder, what's he getting? I, I just, you know, I don't, something's very strange, you know, and you basically, like I say, you've got Bob and those guys coming out saying, see you, mate. And Shelley comes out and goes, no, no, 
we do want the fight. Well, protect your rights if you've got any. But does he even want? I mean, yeah, weird, weird, really weird. But mate, listen, maybe Wilder just don't. He ain't got it in him. Maybe he's got his, you know, twenty million or thirty million, and goes. Do you know what? I don't need this in my life anymore. And I, if that's the case, good luck to him. But how can you not want to avenge your defeat? You know, you imagine AJ uh, or us off the back of the Ruiz situation, getting in a position where you he just went missing and you didn't hear from him. And then I just came out one day and went, you know, and Ruiz's team went, sorry, it's expired. And I go, oh, God, well, we did want the fight, but... And then Ruiz just goes off and defends the belt he won off you. Fuck that. Wait, when AJ lost, I've never seen a man more focused to get his belts back and to beat this guy. So that's sometimes the difference of what's in some people and not in other people. But I just, you know, weird. Weird all round. You know, weird from Wilder, weird from the team and Shelley Fink. Like, I just, how do you let this get in this position? It's poor management. You know, and this guy's credibility will never be the same because he didn't take the rematch with Tyson Fury. What do you think the, the motivation behind it is? Obviously, we're hearing about a potential retirement from Deontay Wilder. We're hearing from, from America. A potential date for January that was, was put towards ESPN yeah. and Tyson Fury and his team. What do you think is the motivation? Listen, if he, I would never, ever, ever, you know, tell, tell a man they, they shouldn't retire or, you know, but because this is a tough sport and he's made his money and maybe he doesn't have the appetite for it anymore. But like, Winning is everything. So how can you not want to avenge this defeat? And by the way, the defeats by Ruiz over Joshua and by Fury over Wilder were quite similar in that, you know, they were quite humiliating. I'll say it. AJ went down, he got hurt, he couldn't recover. He went down, what, four times? He kept getting up, but you know, after that third round, it was very one-sided for Andy Ruiz. So AJ didn't have to pick him up from losing a close, himself up from losing a close points decision. You know, he suffered humiliation at Madison Square Garden that night. And so did Deontay Wilder against Tyson Fury. But two very different individuals. One dusted himself down, and the day after the fight, when I went to his place, in New York, I knew looking at his eyes, he was going to get this back and nothing would stop him. And you know what? Look at Dillian White against Alexander Povetkin. Mate, when you talk about humiliation, okay, Dillian White was winning the fight comfortably, but that knockout, you know, although he's only down for eight seconds, he was sparked, right? And it's, how many times has that been played, Rob? You know, how many people have laughed at that who don't like Dillian White? You know, played it back. Oh, look at him on the floor. Look, yeah. Let's do a meme, right? So you you see that guy, not only goes, I want fucking, I want to let me fight, let me at him again. He's doing it thirteen weeks later. So I just don't. It, it has to be the, the the fire within. I don't know. Like I can't. Have, if it was 
if it was a lot, if it was virtually every fighter that I know, listen, even if it was me, not a day would go by without wanting to do that again and win my belts back. I don't know. I mean, go on. you tell me, wouldn't you? I mean, would that, are you that kind of person? Like, wouldn't you want to get back what you, you know, wouldn't you want to create history? Wouldn't you want to try and win your belt back? Wouldn't you just try and want to overcome adversity and prove people wrong and win your world championship back and become a two-time world every... Sorry, we're back now. Yeah, we're if, back. If, you're in, if you're injured, say something. You know, if you don't want it anymore, if, it, if you ain't got it in you, say something. But I don't, the, the silence is awful. You know, and if you don't take this rematch, which looks like it's just gone anyway, you, people will never look at you the same, mate. Never. Could have, obviously, we're in the, the pandemic and there was missing out on a $20 million gate from the Vegas fight in February. Could it just be a simple case of, you know, not having the money to pay the guarantees? Is it a network issue, do you think? At the end of the day, mate, if I would have said to AJ, you can do the rematch, but you've got to do it for free. He does it. If I said to Dillian White, you can rematch Povetkin, but you've got to do it for nothing, you do it. Right? You, if you want it, you make it happen. Right? And, and although everybody wants to maximise the earnings for their fighter, blah, 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 mate, if you want it, you are driven to win that back. By nook or by fucking crook, you go and get it. Where does this leave AJ Fury, Eddie? Um, how has this pushed that forward? Fantastic. I mean, you know, you've seen the comments from Bob and that, you know, all we've got to do is win our fight. And there are... You know, he's right. The terms of the deal were done. We know that. It was, you know, we announced that ages ago. The only issues are a couple of TV issues, which are very, very solvable. I don't see him causing... And, and again, I just... I don't see any disruption for that fight. I, AJ is desperate for that fight. Fury, I believe, wants that fight. I believe he thinks he can win that fight. You know, it's a huge amount of money in that fight. So, you know, if, if the... The perception is is that we're all hungry, money-grabbing promoters. We get two of those fights next year. So why wouldn't we want to do those fights? I believe AJ wins that fight. And they believe Fury wins that fight. Let's go. Let's do it. You know, it's, it's, what, it's what the sport needs. Network-wise, what are the, apart from the obvious, you know, the complications between ESPN and the zone in America? AJ has an exclusive deal with Sky. BT have a first last matching deal with Fury. Fury has an exclusive deal with ESPN. I mean, I'm not speaking on their behalf, I believe. And we have a matching rights deal with the zone. So, you know, is it a dual broadcast? Is it whoever pays the most money? Is it, oh, I don't know, but we'll find a way. We're not letting that get in the way of this fight. And, and I, don't, I don't see an issue with, with that problem. We caught up with uh, Mr. John Fury a few days ago. He had some interesting things to say. He always does whenever we, uh, we approach the subject of AJ Fury. I think he wants to put a hefty bet down with you, Mr. Hearn. I've had a few bets. I've had 50 grand with Darren Till. I've had 50 grand with Billy Joe Saunders. The, the only thing is, very well, Fury, not in my opinion, but in the bookmaker's opinion, is the favourite. So I'm the mug here giving even money. You know what I mean? So all these people want to bet with me because the bookmakers make him, I don't know, four to six. And I'm giving you extra, I'm giving you extra value in the bet. Listen, I'm that confident. If you want even money, fuck it. We'll do it.
But first things first, John Fury has got to learn some respect and he's got to give me the shot at the Ferrero Rocher challenge. You thought I was good. You, you, when I started saying that, you were thinking, oh my God, this soundbite is unbelievable. I was thinking that you had a death wish. Yeah, I know. No, I, 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 wanna, I do want to take John Fury on at the Ferrero Rocher challenge. That is something. And that's probably one of the few things that I could beat him at. But listen, it's going to be spicy because it's his son. And I believe his son's going to get beat. And I'm going to say it. And he won't want me to say it. And listen, we'll have some fun on the way, but it's a fight at the end of the day. And we're both passionate about the teams that we're on. Of is. This is flesh and blood. You know what I mean? So, but um, I think that, uh, I think, listen, I think, I think John Fury, you know, I think he's a character, but he does, you know, he, he's, he's, he's been a fighter. He, he, he knows a lot about the game, but I think, you know, I think he's wrong. And I think, I think uh, he's, he's going to get beat. Also said that he wants that fight in the UK. Biggest fight in British boxing history. He wants that fight in the UK. Is that realistic? It's up to the, ultimately, it'll be up to the fighters and the teams. I mean, we will go out ourselves at top rank and we will go to market effectively and we will see what the options are for that fight. And we will present them to the fighters and they will make their decision. Now, historically, uh, you know, just from a common sense perspective, generally, the people who pay the most money will land the fight. But we have two fights here, and I really feel like at least one of them should be in the UK. I saw Frank Warren's comments the other day that the government should help out and help land the fight. Probably not the right kind of environment to say that at the moment, because I think the government should be spending their money on other things than major heavyweight boxing matches. But I think what Frank you know, means, and, and I've said in the past is, these other territories are backed by the government to bring major sporting events to their territories. And obviously Britain isn't somewhere, it's been done in the past, but historically it's not somewhere that's going to put money up to bring a heavyweight world championship fight. And to be honest with the state of the country at the moment, as a taxpayer, you know, I think you'd, you'd be more inclined to see support go to other areas than, than a sporting event. But I do feel that, you know, you can't win. You can't win on that one because from a, from a common sense perspective of where it should be, two Brits, world heavyweight champions, we all know it should be in Britain. But we also know there's going to be huge offers coming in from around the world to stage that fight. With Fury looking likely to return in December, obviously I spoke to Mauricio Sulman a few weeks back. He said that Fury would be entitled to a voluntary defence of his WBC title. That looks like it could potentially be in December. If he's going to roll straight into two AJ fights in 2021, does that put pay to a WBC mandatory for next year? Not necessarily. I mean, I think, I think after his voluntary, he should be called for the mandatory, to be honest with you. But I think an undisputed fight with, Fury, with AJ would lead to an exception for that fight, most likely. We have a bigger issue with the WBO after Usyk Chisora. You know, I'm secretly hoping that Chisora can land one on Usyk and then we, we don't have the problem of, you know, similar situation with Povetkin and White, even though I didn't want Povetkin to win that one. So I think that either way, if, if we find a way 
for the belts to be on the line in the first fight, it's much, much harder in the second fight to find a way to do that with the WBO, with the WBC, et cetera, et cetera. And to be honest with you, as long as we can get an undisputed champion at some point, then I'm happy. Because for us, and I, I always know the comments, you know, from Frank or from Fury, who cares about the belts? You know, we care about the belts, to be honest with you. We had a dream to be undisputed heavyweight champion of the world on our team. And it's my job to make sure I do everything I can to make that become a reality. Last time I spoke to Alex Krasiuk, it was probably the first time that I had any kind of inkling that they may be open to a very, very large step aside. For you. <laughs> yeah, everyone's always open to a large step aside. I mean, you just, you know, from a much smaller level, you saw Jack Catterall and, you know, all these kind of... I'm not saying it shows a lack of ambition, but the package has got to be right. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes you get a package that, although you don't want to step aside, it just makes sense. You know? So it all comes down to, as most things do in this game, money. Where is there a way to make the fight undisputed? I think that, to be honest, as much as Usyk wants to become world heavyweight champion, he does see the value for the sport of creating an undisputed champion. He was one. Do you know what I mean? And probably during his period, someone had to step aside or someone had to do something. So, but ultimately, it's his right if he beats Chisora to fight for the World Heavyweight Championship. And, and he has to protect that right. You know, if I was Usyk and I was Alex Krasov, I'd be pushing like mad for that. And then if there was an opportunity where I had to wait till just after that fight. But again, it's not going to be Rob the first fight and then yeah wait for the one in December as well it's going to literally the deal would be something like let that fight happen in April or May and you can fight for the vacant title straight after you know it will be relinquished on the night if you want but we just want to say we did it and if he says no if he says no then we fight without WBO belt you know I mean and if if you know, if he says no, we go to the WBO and we say, do you want to be part of the biggest fight in history? And if they say we can't, then we respect that decision and we, we may have to drop a belt. It's, upon, it's not going to get in the way of that fight, is what I'm saying. We touched upon White Povetkin too. Um, I spoke to Mauricio a few weeks ago. I was, I've read some reports coming up from Boxing Sim recently. Has that fight been approved yet by the WBC? No, we haven't applied for sanction with that fight for the WBC because it's a couple of reasons. One is because they had a 60-day suspension within their rules, which is up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, secondly, Dillian's been doing all his British Boxing Border Control medicals, which are all in order. And, you know, just wanted to make sure that the paperwork was in, in line before we applied for that fight. Of course, we want that fight to be for the WBC interim title. Of course, that will be the WBC interim title. And the WBC will get that official request when all of the rules are adhered to. Mauricio said to me, I put it to him, you know, is this normal for this, this type of situation to happen? Is it normal for a fight to be announced with a WBC title on the line without it being cleared by the WBC first? He said it's not normal for that to happen. I, don't, I think that I'll have to check the artwork. I'm not sure we announced it as the WBC interim title. I'm not sure. But uh, it's our full intention for it to be. It's a belt that's very important to Dillian White. 
you know, he's he spent his whole career fighting for WBC titles and paying sanction fees to WBC. So he's not about to turn his back on that. He wants to become a WBC mandatory. So we're more just, you know, at the moment, uh, the WBC could say, well, we can't sanction that fight because currently Dillian White is suspended. I think that suspension is up on now or in the next couple of days. So we just want to make sure we do everything right. It seemed to me um, that, that Mauricio was potentially somewhat irked by the fact they hadn't had a request before the fight is, is, has been announced or due to take place. Are things like that not ideal when you're talking about the WBC? Obviously, Dillian feels like he's been somewhat mistreated by the WBC over the, a period of time. Does stuff like that not necessarily help his cause? I think there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, Rob, to be honest with you. I mean, that, that situation is legally very complicated. And, you know, I think Dillian will get his own advice there on what to do. Um, but I just go back to the fact that, you know, the WBC right now could say we can't sanction that fight until Dillian White is no longer suspended. So why should we make that request until that suspension is up, which is, you know, he's not even sparring yet. So um, everything is in order, everything is in line. You can look into it as deeply as you want. Um, the fight will be for the WBC interim world title. We will make that application when he's no longer suspended. Is it, but it's a final question on this. Is it no concern to you that Mauricio feels that he should have been contacted already? Uh, yeah, I always like my old pal Mauricio to be happy. Um, but again, it's not, you know, there's a lot going on behind the scenes with Dillian White's team and his lawyers and that kind of stuff. And I let them handle it. When they ask me to make a request, to the WBC, I will make one. Touch him on Usyk Chisora, obviously been announced finally, or the last time we spoke, it'd been announced finally for October the 31st. Um, a lot of people not too happy about the pay-per-view schedule at the minute, particularly when you consider Dubois Joyce is available on BT Sports subscription. Just your comments on that, Eddie. Um, just because there's, there's a couple of reasons that BT, uh, you know, Dubois Joyce is not on pay-per-view. One, because it's not a pay-per-view fight and it doesn't do any numbers. And two, because those guys are making considerably less money than the likes of Usyk and Chisora. And that's not me, you know, that is, it's a British title, you know, and that's, they've not made big money yet. You know, Usyk's a guy who's making millions of dollars to fight all over the world as the undisputed champion and Chisora as well. But you just, the best way, sometimes it's very difficult to explain to people. I'll explain it like this. If that fight would do big numbers on pay-per-view, do you think it would be on pay-per-view? So, and by the way, I think it's great that it's not on pay-per-view, especially for the profile of those fighters. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's great for fight. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying that don't kid yourself. The reason it's not on pay-per-view is because it's not a pay-per-view fight. And when you talk about it's not a pay-per-view fight, what defines a pay-per-view fight? I don't know how many times I have to explain this to you. Is it not how many buys it does? I mean, is that not, you know, I had an argument the other day with some guy on Instagram, you know, as you do, sent me a direct message saying, you know, uh, it's going about Lomachenko against Lopez. I said, it's a brilliant fight. I said, but I just can't, you know, at four o'clock in the morning, the numbers don't justify the investment from a broadcaster. But, when you're so close to it, Rob, it's like you just have to just take a step back and just say, okay, 
the viewing figures for that fight at four o'clock in the morning would be, you know, you talk about five, 10,000 people watching that. But this guy's going, but it's, a, it's an unbelievable fight. I said, I know, but it does, we're not living in that world at the moment. And we go back to Dubois Joyce, that's a fight that on BT would do 50,000 buys, if that. So, yeah, it's not, you know, in this environment, it's definitely not pay-per-view. But you can't sit there and say, White Povetkin does 300,000 buys. It's not, yeah, but it's not pay-per-view. How's it not pay-per-view? You know, Usyk Chisora will do 400,000 buys. But it's not pay-per-view, though. You know what I mean? You know, Usyk Bellew did 500,000. And no one knew who Usyk was at the time. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know. I mean, I think, by the way, and I think it's great that that fight's not pay-per-view. But when you talk about the levels of purses, and even with Usyk and Chisora taking significant haircuts to make this fight, they're still making three times what those guys are. You know what I mean? So it's the only option we have. And, you know, it comes down again. You don't think that it's value for money. Don't buy it. If you want a great fight night, if you want a thrilling fight between potentially the best heavyweight in the world and one of our boys in the British, Derek Chisora, enjoy the night home from six o'clock till midnight. And then once again, just like White Povetkin, we will deliver you value for money. Usyk Chisora, I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw a pay-per-view card without any world title fights from top to bottom. Can you remember doing one? Um... Probably, but I'll have to look. But maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, White Pavet, yeah, Katie Taylor, we had the women's world title fight there. I'm listen, I may still put a women's world title fight on. I'm actually trying to put ranking against Marshall. So if that will make people feel better, then, you know, I'll, I'll do that as well. But um, effectively, Usyk Chisora is the mandatory challenger for the world heavyweight title, defending his position. So as close as you get. One thing I wanted to talk to you about regarding White Povetkin, um, obviously the rematch clause that wasn't known about until after the fight. Now, a lot of fans were, I say a lot of fans, I say a segment of fans, I have to remember this little boxing bubble that we're in a lot of the time, Eddie, as you like to remind me. But a lot of fans weren't particularly pleased to hear about a rematch clause after the fight that they weren't aware of before the fight. I guess it came down to essentially marketing a fight based on the winner of this will fight for the WBC title but without knowing that there was a rematch clause. What do no, you say? It was never marketed like that. It was marketed that the winner of this fight would be mandatory for the world heavyweight title, right? And the winner of that fight was mandatory for the world heavyweight title. Again, I, I just, if this is difficult to get, then take your time, take a deep breath and listen. When you own a world title or a significant position and you give someone an opportunity to fight for your position that you've worked very hard to achieve, you have a rematch clause. It is not new. It is done by absolutely every promoter for the history of the sport. Okay? I saw someone the other day. Loma, Loma Lopez. There's no rematch clause. There's two fucking world champions. Do you know what I mean? Do you think... When, when Lomachenko boxed Anthony Crawler, and when Lomachenko boxed Luke Campbell, both of those guys were mandatory challengers. Bob Aaron would not let that fight take place, even 
as a 40 to one favorite without a rematch clause. And we argued and we argued and we argued and eventually we gave them a rematch clause, right? When you have someone in that position who is giving someone out of that position, Alexander Povetkin was not close to being a mandatory challenger. He was given that opportunity. Therefore, if you win, you have a rematch clause. It's nothing new, but people like to just, you know, when it's convenient to them, moan about it. You know, like Bob. I mean, Bob, Bob Aaron has probably enforced more rematch clauses than I've had ponies. Right? So for him to sit there and go, oh, Eddie Hearn always wants a rematch clause. Fucking hell. You wouldn't let someone sniff or breathe without a rematch clause for one of your champions. So it's nothing new. And it's very, very, very standard. And if you asked me before the fight, if there's a rematch clause, I will tell you. We don't go to a press conference and go, hi, everyone, welcome to this fight. Just to let you know, Rob Tebbett said from Boxing Social, he wants me to let you know there's a rematch clause. So it's great. Um, but if you ask me the question, I ain't going to lie to you. you know, is there a rematch clause for every single AJ fight? Yes, if there is not fighting a champion. Now, Tyson Fury come in and said, we don't want to do two fights. Then we do one fight. No rematch clause for that fight. But obviously, both guys want to run it twice. The two biggest, it's the biggest fight in history. You know, it's a massive opportunity to have a, a schedule in 2021. So, you know. Obviously, I understand and know that a lot of these big fights have rematch clauses anyway, but I do beg to differ with regards to kind of the fight being marketed as the winner would face Tyson Fury next. I actually rewatched the fight very recently, and it was said as late as Dillian White and Alexander Povetkin walking to the ring. That the winner will be mandatory challenger for Tyson? No, the winner would face Tyson Fury. Well, I mean, ultimately, the winner is mandatory for the World Heavyweight title. So, yes, if they, if they own that position, they will fight. Tyson Fury. Unless it's Alexander Povetkin because there's a rematch clause. Uh, yeah, but if you maintain your position as WBC mandatory, you will fight Tyson Fury. Just not next because of the, because of the rematch clause. I never said that Povetkin would fight Fury next. I said that the winner would be mandatory. And I believe that if Dillian White would have won, he would fight Tyson Fury next because it was legally bound for that to happen. But Povetkin was never, he was never ever gonna fight Tyson Fury in his next fight. What he was gonna be was the mandatory challenger to Tyson Fury. Before we move on, talk about a few other things. Uh, just, it wouldn't be right to not mention uh, the stick that you got after the last interview that we did. Uh, your Alexander oh, Povetkin, Dillian White. I think I'm gonna buy you an abacus, Eddie, so you can learn how to count. Unbelievable. So I can't really even justify that one, Rob, to be honest with you. What I will say is when I was here, just over there, I can see it, right? I, I was like, fuck, shit, you know. And then the next thing you heard Dillian going, I'm all right, I'm all right, getting up. Now, in my deluded mind, I thought that the ref went over him and went like two and then went like that. Well, I got that one wrong as well. Because I watched it back. After we'd done our interview, mate, I was looking at the memes and stuff like that. And I was sitting there going. And even my mate, my mate, actually, I've got more than one mate. My mates were putting in the WhatsApp group our interview, going, Ed, were you serious here? Like, I said, I promise you, I thought that he was getting up. Like, 
I would never say he could have continued. I know he was out, but I did think he was getting up like eight, nine, ten, more like twenty. Yeah. My favourite part of that was when you uh, you told me that I should rewatch the fight. That was my favourite part. But you know that sometimes, you know, when you're selling, Rob, you just you got to believe in yourself. You know? <laughs> so unfortunately, we have this thing called video replay, which is a bit of a fucker, really. So, but I think Rob, right? That if you hadn't, if you didn't have the ability after our interview to watch it back, you might you would have believed me. You must have been guessing in your mind, thinking, I'm sure he's not right there. I'm sure, but you know, I convinced myself. Even when I watched it back, I'm sure it was only eight. <laughs> you, know, you know what I will say, and this is I'm not judging justify my my um point. When he when he got up and when he got out of the ring, he was absolutely fine. Do you know what I mean? So can I change, can we just edit that out? And, no? Well, I don't like to edit interviews, Eddie, you know that. No, no, no. That's why people won't talk to you. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. <laughs> Usyk Chisora undercard. Are you happy with it? Um, you've obviously mentioned uh, ranking versus um, Marshall. Savannah Marshall. Sorry, just slipped out of my head. Savannah Marshall. So you, you're still looking to add to the card, right? Yeah, I am. I mean, we're already at, I think we're at seven fights already. So, uh, but I would like to add ranking Marshall to that card. He's a wonderful fight. Cash Farouk is actually on that card as well in a good fight. He'll be added to that card as well. I think it's a good fight. I mean, I, I think Selby Cambosis is an absolute brilliant fight. Brilliant fight. I mean, the winner of that is mandatory to Lomachenko Lopez, winner this weekend. And it is a great, great fight. Um, I think Dave Allen's in a great fight. It's a 50-50 heavyweight fight. I think Tommy McCarthy for the European Cruiserweight title, he's in a great fight as well. The girls' fight for the Commonwealth title is a great fight as well. We can get ranking on there against Marshall. Fantastic. Get Cash Farouk in this fight. It's a good fight for him. I think it's a good card. Yeah, I, I really do. I mean, I, I think that the it's more spread than uh, White Povetkin. You know, White Povetkin had Katie Taylor and had very little underneath it. You know, in terms of... I know we had Savage against Winters and we had... Cullen uh, against uh, you know and, and Clay Congo, but what I'm saying is you had like they're like English title fights and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? So I just this has got more depth, but probably doesn't have the superstar fight of Taylor Serrano. But Selby Cambos is a great fight as well. And it's it's much, it's a much deeper card. But you are still looking to add to it. One more fight, probably two. While we're kind of hovering around um, Chris Congo, uh, we've obviously seen Conor Ben with his fight with Sebastian Formella added yeah. to the White Povetkin 2 card. Uh, um, obviously, we've been waiting for him to fight Chris Jenkins for seemingly forever. Chris Congo's name has also been floated around as a potential opponent, but he's landed on Sebastian Formella. Just talk to us about that kind of British welterweight scene. Um, so, we were in a position with Chris Jenkins, very frustrating, where we made... six to eight offers probably from the inception of this conversation and a little while ago Chris Jenkins his manager his trainer was over the moon with the offer and they wanted to take the Conor Ben fight but for one reason or another they weren't allowed to or whatever it was so we actually 
increase that offer by more than 20%. And we still couldn't make the fire. And then we got to a point where you know, purse bids were coming up in a couple of weeks. We were finalizing November 21 card. And I just felt, I sat in this office with Connor. I said, listen, you're on a 60-40 purse bid. You're, you're on a lot of money as a fighter. And you know, this guy, Chris Jenkins, who I, who I do feel very sorry for, um, he wants to fight, but he's not allowed to take the fight. I just don't know if we lose the purse bid, if you'll fight this year, you know, if you'll get mucked around. So if I can find you a bigger fight, I think we should do it. And he said, I agree. But I only want to take another fight if it's a much bigger fight than Chris Jenkins. And if it's, a, you know, so, because I think he felt that, you know, and I've seen all the responses to Ben Formella is like, fuck, that's a huge step up. Then you get the obvious Chris Jenkins fan who say, well, you're bottling it from Chris Jenkins. With all due respect to Chris Jenkins, Sebastian Formella is on a whole nother level of toughness in this fight, right? It just went 12 rounds with Sean Porter. I know he lost that fight convincingly. He took everything from Sean Porter and he was still firing back in the 12th round, right? He's ranked much higher than Chris Jenkins. He's, you know, it's just a much bigger, bigger fight. But I was gutted because I believe they should have let Chris Jenkins take this fight. You know, if you make a life-changing offer to a fighter who wants the fight, who is happy with everything, they have to be allowed to take the fight, in my opinion, right? So now Chris Jenkins will probably get, I don't know, could be a quarter, could be a third of the money to fight, probably Echo Eskimo. And we'll probably get beat, or might get beat. What I mean? So, but people, you know, I'll say it, maybe they won't say it. You know, maybe they don't want to stand up for themselves. But if you speak to Gary Lockett, if you speak to Mo Pryor, if you speak to Chris Jenkins, you know, maybe that's a good interview for you. I certainly will try to. Um... I like Gary Lockett, a lot of time for Gary Lockett. I love Gary Lockett, and I like Chris Jenkins, and I like Mo Pryor a lot. But unfortunately, they couldn't, you know, for, for reasons to them, they couldn't get themselves in a position to say, Give me that fight, oh, we want it, and we're happy with the money, let's go. Doesn't bode well for this infamous lunch that we're waiting on between yourself and Frank. What's the latest? Like, obviously, you had COVID, but I mean, now you've kind of stepped away or like from the, from the Jenkins Ben fight, which I think general consensus was that. And Williams Andrade were the two fights that we kind of thought, okay, well, they'll get done because they've been mandated. That's not happened. So it doesn't look good for this whole Hearn Warren coalition. To be honest with you, fight by fight, case by case. You know, it's not, I've got, I've got no interest in going in and forging a partnership with Queensbury. Why the fuck would I want to do that? You know, we know what we're doing. We're protecting our business. We're straight number one. And we're going to continue to, to, to do what we can to move our business, our fighters and the sport forward. Will, will I make fights with Frank Warren? 100%, no problem. But when you look at like, you had an example there, and by the way, I wrote to Queensbury a week before I announced the Formella fight. And I said, just to let you know, we are going to take another fight. So I will give you one more chance to give this kid, Jenkins, this opportunity. And they wouldn't do it. So it wasn't like I just pulled a fast one. I said, you know, I improved the offer, improved the offer, and got to so much money. It was ridiculous in the end. But it was like, you don't want to do it, do you? 
You know, you just can't bring yourself to let this kid fight on our show. So I guess, you know, in answer to your question, yeah, it doesn't bode well on, on their side. But for my side, would I make one of our fighters on their fight? If my fighter, my client, their representatives wanted to take the fight, no problem. No problem. I will never stop a fighter from taking opportunity that they want to take. But for me, does it stop me making fights for him? No, fight by fight. You know, I'm not going into a meeting saying, yeah, let's make, come on, let's make 10 fights now and do a card for you. But I'm saying, yeah, show, show me your ideas. I'll show you my ideas. I mean, we've seen it. You know, his idea was Dubois against White. My idea is Dubois against Hergovic. Right? So if he don't like my one or I don't like his, that one's out. Okay, next. White's a yellow. Yes, please. You know, let's find a way to make that happen. Williams, Andre, same thing. All the person, that fight's happening. You know, so, um, but also don't forget, you know, Liam Williams had an interim bout, right? Now we're having an interim bout for Andre. He didn't, you know, he ain't been, they haven't been pushing this mandatory. Like, you know, they've chose to have an interim bout. So now we'll have an interim bout and then we'll fight you next year. It's a good fight, by the way. I like Liam Williams. Brilliant fight. And I just think, you know, you, you've got a situation. We've just got to be careful because you've had two back-to-back -back main events there that are just chronic mismatches. And it's not even anyone's fault. You know, I'm not saying that it's Frank's fault. Josh Taylor was embarrassing. And Liam Williams, again, like no disrespect to Andrew Robinson, but they were just two chronic mismatches in the main event. And because they were mandatories. Not Josh Taylor's fault. He he had to fight that guy, but it doesn't do it the sport any favors. Tuning into that, you know. So I think the mandate we just got. I'm saying I think the governing bodies right now just got to use common sense and say we have to deliver good product right now, you know. But I guess you know if you're a mandatory challenger, you're saying, "Hang on, it's my shot." So. So what's the situation with Demetrius Andrew? You said he's going to take an interim fight. When, he's where? He's going to fight in November. Um, might even be a catchweight fight. He just, you know, hasn't boxed since January. Liam Williams chose to have his fight. So the WBO said you can have an interim fight as well. And then after our fight, they'll call negotiations for that fight. And I guess it will happen in the first quarter of 2021. Good fight. Good fight. You know, I rate, I rate Liam Williams. Um, we do that fight in um, Providence. You know, we did, we did, we did Suleki against Andre there. We did eight thousand crowd. So hopefully by then we got crowds back. Um, and yeah, good, good fight. Kind of while we're hovering around, then we touched upon him earlier briefly. Billy Joe Saunders. What's the latest with Billy Joe? He's he's kind of him. Callum Smith, Josh Warrington. They're the kind of the three. Yeah, they're the ones that we're you know the, with the last few that we've got to deal with now. And yeah, they're in an awkward position because they drive a good gate. And they want the big fights, but, you know, when can we do them? So Billy Joe, again, you know, that conversation with Canelo's there if he fights later in the year. But the plan for Billy Joe Saunders is to fight on November 28th or December 5th. And he will fight a Brit. So, you know, we've obviously got John Ryder. I'm not sure it'll be him. We've got Rocky Fielding. We've got Martin Murray. Um, you've got Zach Parker, who eventually will actually probably be his mandatory in 2021 anyway. Um, so yeah, that's that's the situation. And originally he was going to go on the twenty eighth, and I got a call from George Warren to say 
would you consider moving it to the fifth? And yeah, we'll consider that. But now you've got Fury maybe on the fifth. So you'll probably stick to the 28th. I don't know. But it'll be one of those two Saturday nights, 28th or the fifth. And Warrington, we're, we're, we're seeing the rumours about him. The, yeah, the Kanzu fight is the one. You know, I mean, that's you've got two guys there who I'm, I mean, sick. Billy Joe Saunders, sick as in, not sick as in, sick, but sick as in gutting. We were 48 hours away from announcing Canelo, Billy Joe Saunders. And we'd also agreed Kanzu against Warrington at Headingley. Right? I mean, so Warrington against Kanzu, we're now rescheduling and, you know, we, we, we're not a million miles away from that fight now. So just trying to finalise that with Golden Boy and a date on that coming soon. And then, um, yeah, then we're almost there. We just got to deliver for those three guys, and then. But you know, Rob, we keep saying, don't we? Well, you know, proud to be back in September. Proud to be back in December. Proud to be back in January. Proud to be back in February. Who knows? So, all we can do is just making sure these these boys get out, and uh, you know, make sure we progress everybody in the right way. On a one for I love you and leave you, uh, Terence. Huh? It's been a long one. Yeah, well, you you always have a lot to talk about, and we don't do interviews every week anymore, Edward. So I have to Better cram them all in. Better that way. Mm, well, it, it just means feels like this one's been, been fresh. Feel, it feels it's been fresh. Yeah, it's been good. But anyway, last question: Terence Crawford versus Kel Brook. Obviously, they're still waiting to hear from that. Saw some reports that came out in the last twenty-four hours, alleging that Mr. Eddie Hearn had a role to play in that not ending up on Sky Sports BT. Not my comments. What do you make of those? BT, what have I got to do with BT? I can't believe that I get the uh, the blame on everything. You know what I mean? Um, quite simple. Um, I kind of let Kel and his dad crack on with that one. You know, I've had very little to do with it. Spoke to Bob about it a bit. Spoke to Kel's dad a bit. And I was happy for them to go and make that fight. You know, I think they they went out to the Crawford Khan fight ages ago. You know, they, they met Bob and pushed for that fight and pushed for that fight and they got in a position. Now, what happened is when the fight was made, Top Rank approached Sky and said, you know, even though Top Rank feel like Sky do too many pay-per-views and said, Crawford Brook, pay-per-view, 100%, yeah. And Sky said, no. Right? Obviously, good fight, of course, but it's four o'clock in the morning. We've got a lot of pay-per-views happening. So, no. Bob then threw his toys out the pram, said Sky do too many pay-per-views and they're not worthy, etc. Then decided to do Lomachenko Lopez on pay-per-view as well, by the way, at four o'clock in the morning. Um, and then they went back to Sky and said, we want this much for the Brooke Crawford fight. And Sky said, no. Sky said, speak to Eddie. Eddie has our budget. Obviously, it's very difficult at the moment. We know crowds. He's trying to get all his fighters out. I then spoke to a representative for Top Rank we made them an offer and said, if I don't hear back from you, then by then, let's leave it. I never heard back from them and end of story. So I don't own the rights for uh, Brooke Crawford. So I'm not responsible for anyone not doing it, especially I'm not sure how I'm responsible for BT not taking it. But, you know, this whole thing makes me laugh, Rob. Whereas, like I said to this, my, my new friend on Instagram, who I decided to reply to a DM from yesterday, you do realise there's other options out there than, than me and Sky, don't you? Like, do you think that 
top rank have not gone to BT, ITV, Channel 5, and pitch Brooke Crawford? Of course they have. And everybody's turned it down. Or hasn't bid the value that they think it's worth. So we can't do everything. Right now, we're trying to get all our fighters out. We're trying to create a schedule with no gate revenue, right? So I control that budget with Sky for boxing. To be honest with you, I want to use that money on all of my fighters who I need to get out contractually or because I want to give them an opportunity. Kel, Terence Crawford, you've done your deal. Top rank claim the rights. Nothing to do with me. Don't moan. Don't criticise. If just because we don't, we're not, we don't have to buy it. You know, I saw Bob's interview. Game man, Sky. Sky aren't obligated to buy top rank product. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't not get a buyer and then abuse the customer for not buying it. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I can't fucking can't believe. Well, why didn't BT buy it? Why didn't BT buy Loma Lopez? I mean, BT have an output deal with Top Rank, supposedly. I mean, this is what was all announced. Yet they still didn't take that fight. Why? Because no one's going to watch it at four o'clock in the morning. And when you say that, people go, of course they will. Mate, I did my bollocks on a Lomachenko pay-per-view, mate. Did my bollocks. Because I lost my marbles and I started being too close to the boxing bubble. And AJ lost and I thought, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come out here and I'm going to read my book, Relentless, launches two weeks today. There's a big big piece about this Lomachenko fight. AJ lost, I came out, oh, matchroom, oh, what are they going to do now? Do you know what I'm going to fucking do? I'm going to bring over Lomachenko, pound for pound number one to the UK. We're going to do a pay-per-view fight. Little did I know, no one knows who fucking Lomachenko is other than the hardcore fans. And it was our lowest performing pay-per-view. Right? Now, Lomachenko is amazing. I think he's amazing. Right? One of my favourite fighters in the world. But when I spend the money on that fight and 10,000 people watch it at 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm not doing a job for my, for my broadcaster. We're under pressure right now, Rob. You know? Every rights holder is under pressure to deliver to their customer and their broadcaster. Got to make the right decisions. Is it still disappointing, though, in considering what you've been through with Cal Brook? I mean, it is, a, it is a big fight. He's fighting one of the consensus pound-for-pound pound best fighters in the world. To not be involved in the negotiations, to not have that fight? Not really, because I don't think Kel Brook should be fighting 147 pounds. You know, um, I'd like to see Kel fight at 154, but Kel's at a stage of his career where he don't want, you know, he want, he just wants the biggest amount of money, the biggest fight, and, and he's up for it. You know what I mean? Like, he's, Kel's a great fighter. For me, he just can't operate at 147 like I believe he can at 54. I'll go back to the Errol Spence fight. Like, he just, I don't even know how he, he got in... He made that way. It was brutal. But for seven or eight rounds, Kelbrook showed his class. Now, Kelbrook beat Sean Porter. Kelbrook was a great fighter. I just don't like the Terence Crawford fight because I think Terence Crawford is probably my pound-for-pound pound number one, to be honest with you. But the fight's four weeks away. You know? And we haven't had an announcement yet. I think you'll get one this weekend. But, you know, at the end of the day, I support Kel one million percent. You know, he went out, he got this fight for himself. 
And now it's almost like it's my fault that it's not on UK TV. You know, I've got to look after our business and our fighters. And, and once Kel does that deal with Top Rank and Top Rank own the UK rights, you know, if I was involved with the fight, yeah, I probably would have found a way to structure it to put it on TV. But you can't do the deal and then come to me and say, Top Rank, oh, yeah, how much do you want to pay for it? It's like nothing. I didn't know anything about it, really. I just, so we're cracking on with our stuff. We do have a choice. Look after number one, our, our guys. Absolutely. Okay, Ed. Well, thanks very much for your time. As always, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Um, any other things you'd like to share before you go? Not really. Tune in this Saturday. Of course, we haven't even talked about the buddy show this Saturday. Um, lost a martial ranking, which was a kick in the nuts. Really looking forward to uh, uh, Ritson against Vasquez. A lot of people little cheeky little tip on Vasquez for that fight because they just feel that, you know, normally Ritson 8,000 in the arena, you know, the whole occasion, obviously a quiet arena this time. Vasquez has great feet, great boxing IQ. And when you saw Ritson fight Vasquez, uh, sorry, fight Patera, who again had great feet and great boxing IQ, he lost and he struggled. But I think Lewis Ritson will be too much for Vasquez. Great fight uh, that will go under the radar. We need to start pushing in the next, 24 hours is Kez Ashback against Mark Leach. Final eliminator for the British Super Bantamweight title. Huge step up for uh, Kez and Mark Leach really fancies it. Uh, Joe Laws against Ryland Charlton. Very interesting fight. Uh, a lot of people backing Ryland Charlton in that fight. And Joe Laws is the funniest geezer I've ever met. Thomas Patrick Ward, who's on the verge of a world title fight against Thomas Asomba. Ellie Scottney making her pro debut. Watch this young girl. She is very, very, very good. And quite amusingly, Tony Bellew, who will not fucking leave me alone about putting his fighters on the card, most of which, most of who I've never heard of, you know, good young prospects from Liverpool. He has somehow fluked a spot yesterday where Kane Baker, who is Mr. Opportunity, you know, Bellew's phoning me, I'm in the room, and I'm just looking at it, and he's going, I saw a fighter, I saw a fighter's gone off. Give one of my boys a chance, give one of my boys a chance. And I just basically ignored him until he decided to tweet me instead and say, come on, try and put a bit of pressure on. In the meantime, spoke to Kane Baker and he went, I'll fucking have a tear up on Saturday if you want me to. So Shakespeare against Kane Baker is also a really, really good fight. I think Shakespeare's 3-0, and 4-0 and and Kane Baker. Well, when I look back on the Kane Baker, Akib Fiaz fight, Fiaz won that fight. But you know, one of half close because he gave away rounds at the end. And I think this fight will be a lot better for Kane because Spear just comes to have a tear up. So, looking forward to it. It's going to be another good night on Saturday. Don't miss it. Sky Sports. How did that work? The, the, we saw, all saw the public kind of negotiation between you and Bellew. How does that work with regards to coming into the bubble, testing? It's all very last so minute, both right? Both guys come in today. They won't be available at the press conference. All their medicals were sent to the board yesterday. They turn up this morning. They test. They isolate. Listen, if they test positive, there's no fight. But they won't be at the press conference. But they'll get their results tonight and then they'll weigh in tomorrow. He could have messaged you, couldn't he, rather than tweet you? He called me and said, and voice noted me. There's a lot of people going, oh, you two set this up. It's like, guys, I'm not the biggest thing in the world to set up a six-rounder. But he just, have you seen him on Instagram all week? He's like, this is my new fighter. Like, you know, he's looking for opportunities. But I actually didn't think that he'd fight Kane Baker. So that's why I replied and went, if you want to fight Kane Baker, we'll do it. And he comes right back and he went, he'll have it. 
I was like, oh shit. So we had to find a little bit more space, but it'd be good. Okay, well, we look forward to it. Eddie, as always, thanks very much for your time and See you guys. catching up with you soon. Cheers, Eddie. See you later. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>